All right. Um, good evening, everybody. Welcome to the August 10th Student Success and Policy Committee meeting. I am Chair Alia Chisti. Um, uh, Linda, could you please call the roll? Chair Chisti. Oh, I'm here. Trustee Green. Here. Trustee Chung. Present. Student Trustee Brandt. Present. You have quorum. That is wonderful. Welcome, colleagues. And I believe that um, Trustee Solomon will also potentially be joining us as not a voting member, but present in today's meeting. I'm going to turn it over to um, Student Trustee Brandt to please read the land acknowledgement. Sure. We acknowledge that we are on the unceded ancestral homeland of the Ramatushaloni, who are the original inhabitants of the San Francisco Peninsula. And as the indigenous stewards of this land and in accordance with their tradition, the Ramatushaloni have never ceded, lost, nor forgotten their responsibilities as the caretakers of this place, as well as for all peoples who reside in their traditional territory. As guests, we recognize that we benefit from living and working on their traditional homeland. We wish to pay our respects by acknowledging the ancestors elders, and relatives of the Ramatush community, and by affirming their sovereign rights as First Peoples. Thank you so much. Um, okay, moving on to um, uh, the, what am I moving on to? Uh, minutes? Or is it public comment notice? Is there any public I, uh, comment on items not on the agenda? Linda? Yes, there is. Uh, Abigail Bornstein. So I wanted to talk about serving students. We want to serve as many students with our limited resources. That's really important to us. So I wanted to be aware, you to be aware that adding more sections comes at very different expense amounts. Uh, and I want to explain this. We have been talking a lot about English. We obviously need more sections of English 1A. There's absolutely no question about that. We do need more sections. Um, a full-time English instructor will serve roughly 90 students in a semester. A computer networking and IT, CNIT instructor, will serve 175 students. An astronomy instructor will serve over 240 students. We are going to add, we are going to need two full-time English instructors to one full-time CNIT instructor to serve the same number of students. In this case, English is twice as expensive. We really have to watch the number of students we're serving and at what cost. Adding English sections becomes twice as expensive as adding more CNIT sections or astronomy sections. This is based on the low cap and the 1.25 pay factor per unit that English instructors receive. What are we going to use to offset the double expense for adding more English classes. I've heard some board members suggest we not pay our insurance fund or our retirement fund or lower our reserve fund. As a board, you are responsible not only to add on more classes to serve more students, but you have to be vetting the budget. Putting out an expectation of any action is easy. That's actually really easy to do, but tying it to the revenue is the challenge. And I challenge you to that. Thank you. That concludes public comment for items not on the agenda. Thank you so much. Okay, moving on to approval of the minutes. Um, is there a motion to approve the June 8th SSP minutes? 
Moved. Second. Moved by Trustee Chung, seconded by Trustee Green. Um, Linda, could we, uh, is there any discussion? No, wait, sorry. Linda, could we take close, uh, take roll? I'm rusty with this. <laughs> Student Trustee Brand advisory vote. Aye. Trustee Chisty. Aye. Trustee Green. Aye. Trustee Chung. Aye. The motion passes. Wonderful. Now moving to item five, um, review an update on existing board policies. Um, do we have a, a Chancellor Martin? Thank you, Chair Schistein. In front of the board uh, this evening, uh, or this subcommittee this evening, is uh, a list of board policies uh, that have gone through our internal governance process uh, last spring. Uh, these are the uh, board policies that went through our PGC, our Participatory Governance Council, for both a first read and a second read. Our PGC committee did uh, recommend them, uh, I believe unanimously, to the uh, subcommittee for uh, your review. Uh, we are at a point now, we're at the tail end uh, of a comprehensive uh, update of many of our board policies, not necessarily a material update, as you see if you click on the links, but really uh, the process of reviewing uh, the policies uh, for any language uh, that is no longer relevant or applicable, uh, and really looking at uh, the Ed Code citations, because Ed Code is modified uh, each year. Uh, so we want to make sure that the Ed Code citations, the uh, Title V citations, the government's uh, code citations are uh, still meaningful and relevant and, and appropriate for those policies. And that's the work that we're looking at here. Uh, these policies did not receive substantial uh, or material wording or context revision. It was really just getting them through uh, our process so when the accreditation uh, team is here in October, uh, we can uh, say that we have gone through our policies to make sure that uh, they are up to date. Uh, and then if the uh, subcommittee or the board would like to do uh, material or substantive changes to the wording or context, that work can still happen. Uh, but really what's in front of the subcommittee this afternoon uh, is just the opportunity uh, to uh, share the information. Uh, let the subcommittee know that they have gone through our PGC. Uh, we do believe that the references to Ed Code uh, Title V are still appropriate and meaningful, and we'd be happy to answer any questions. Uh, but that uh, is my presentation, and uh, pass it back to you, Chair Chisty. Thank you, Chancellor Martin. And before I open it up um, for discussion, Linda, do we have any public comment? No, we do not. Thank you. Any question? Um, Trustee Chung? Yeah, I think I just, um, it, it's just a very, I mean, this is a process that um really grateful to uh, the governing bodies of the administration for uh, making possible as we approach um, the accreditation uh, visitors. Uh, I, I think I just wanted to, I mean, I, I have to still comb through a lot of this language. I think there's, um, I know it's, there's a vision um, amongst members of, of this committee, as well as the entire board. There, there are certain specific board policies that we'd like to amend over time, but given the tight timeline, I think that's just going to happen uh, within our capacity as as quickly and as slowly as we have the capacity to to process them. Um, I, I think I just wanted to catch um, 
like, like for example, on BP 7.17, there was just a, on the first page, I just saw a small grammatical error when I was just scanning through it. So I think my, yeah, my only recommendation at this moment is to, if we could please just um, have it spell checked one more time before we bring it to the whole board. Uh, certainly. And thank you for that catch. I had also seen that the one for the presentation. Yes. Um, thank you so much for that, Trustee Chung. Um, and I think I think the thing that I'm struggling with a little bit as well with the with the with these policies and the role of this committee. And um, I do appreciate all the work that's gone into this as well. But personally, for me, it was very difficult to click each link and review the policy, but there was didn't feel like a meaningful way for me to collect my edits. And so I think it's a little bit of, um, uh, to me, it's a little bit of a bigger process or a bigger issue around how we're engaged in the review process. And I just don't feel that the way it's currently presented um, allows for that. I think it's kind of, um, so I, I, I think I also understand um, the tight timeline that we're on, but I also want to use this opportunity um, for us to really um, think about how to better present the policies so that board members can engage in them. Because right now it, it was a cumbersome process to click through each link, try to read it, try to think of like, okay, this is some language that I would like to propose around it. And it was not conducive um, for substantive feedback. Um, so I think just moving forward as we are going through this process that even with how it's being presented, we need to either have it be in one word document um, with a table of contents and maybe trustees are able to you know, write in their track their edits and then in committee we could discuss them. So um, for me in particular, there are policies around um, chapter one that I think we've brought up in different capacities around um, committee structures that specifically relate to the board and governance. And so I do think, as Trustee Chung was saying, that we we want to discuss that more. Um, but given the time sensitivity, um, I don't feel entirely comfortable moving this, but acknowledge the time sensitivity and trust the vetting process that it's been through um, to the full board just to make sure that we're on um, track when the accrediting agency comes through. So I will entertain a um, motion um, to move this to the full board for approval with the acknowledgement that um, particular chapters will come back to this committee for um, further review, such as the committees of the board, um, governing board of ethics, um, and um, evaluation of the chancellor, and also the one pertaining to PGC committees and who is chair of PGC. I'd like for us to discuss that. Um, I don't know if anyone to second. I'll stop there. I have a question. Yes, please. Um, is there a is there a way that we can think of for this committee to go through that review process within the timeline that we have in an effort to bring this to the board, um, having done our due diligence? I'm completely open to that. And maybe that requires another scheduling of a meeting. I'm, I'm totally open to that. And um, so um, I don't know if there's, Anyone else? 
church history. I think what I also remember is um, there has been some discussion of an ad hoc committee that would work on board policies. Um, so I'm always in favor of there's there's a lot of work to be done. There's a lot of so I always think um, you know the, the way that we can simultaneously all work on these policies and that way in, in a manner that um because it, right i think what we've what we've experienced thus far especially when um resolutions have come before the board is we kind of sit here and we wordsmith it for an hour or two it's not efficient it is it, it we're falling brown act to the t but it's it's not an efficient way to to kind of go about it and um I do think that uh, if there were specific policies that we want to work on, I think it's, you know, in in some ways, I think it's happened without a formalized process, right? A couple of folks have come together. I think, for example, on this, on the upcoming agenda, um, something that's coming up, right, um, with regards to the student housing resolution, right? I think it, it's, it's, Easily, I think we can probably reference how it's related to certain board policies, and I think um, that happens in clusters of three. And I think it, that's also just something we can continue to go forth with. That's um, where we, so we can formalize and establish an ad hoc committee that works on policies. But I think if there are specific board policies that we want to adjust, we can also just move in that direction. That's, I'm sorry, I'm, I'm, I'm talking in circles. I, I guess what I'm, cons because of the, how many board policies that we are working with, Trustee Green, is I'm not really sure if we're going to complete it in the next month. Um, to to kind of really comb through it, but I I think if we just take it one policy at a time, as we have been doing, that that's what I would recommend. Um, okay, so I think and um, uh, just to kind of like close the loop on this conversation, I think there's like two things that we're conflating a little bit. I think the first thing that um, I think I'm saying, and maybe this is what Trustee Green is also saying, is that being presented policies in a way that is conducive for at least initial feedback, because the way it is currently presented does not have an infrastructure for us to review it or put our notes. And I understand in board meetings, we don't want to be wordsmithing, but we could take time outside of the board meeting meetings on our own to codify what we want to talk about. And right now we don't have a place to do that. So I think that's the first piece in terms of providing a thorough review of our policies. And then um, I think the second piece is yes, I think that it is going to take us quite a bit of time to review the policies and all of the ones that we have to go through. So um, I think, and I don't really know what's happening with the ad hoc committee. And, um, so I'm, you know, just going to leave that there. Um, but I think for now, maybe a good, a good medium, and please let me know if you're open to this trustee green is that, um, again, given the tight timeline and that this has gone through the vetting process, um, that we go ahead and move this to the full board, there will be another opportunity to review. And then we, um, 
each of us can select policies that we want to bring back to this committee. And maybe we'll have just the entire committee dedicated to maybe two to three board policies that we all think are really important to address ASAP. So maybe that can be a happy medium for all of us. So um, I, yeah, Trustee Green. That's fine. Great, thank you so much. So um, uh, I will entertain a motion to move this to the full board. Motion to move to the full board. Moved by Trustee Green. Second. Seconded by Trustee um, Chung. Uh, Linda, could we please take roll? Aye. Chair Chisti? Aye. Trustee Green? Yes. Trustee Chung? Aye. The motion passes. Wonderful. Thank you so much. And now we are going to move to item B. Before we do that, I'd like to acknowledge our new Academic Senate president, president who is here with us today. Please feel free to chime in for anything. Thank you for joining us. Um, all right. So uh, board policy, uh, we're on B. Review changes to BP 1.015. Chancellor Martin. Uh, yes, Chair Tristan, and I will pause uh, for ABC, Kristen Charles, and I may be putting her on the spot. So I will uh, go ahead then and, and take the lead on this one. But uh, we do appreciate the work that this committee and the full board has done regarding BP uh, 1.015, the student trustee. Uh, we just wanted to bring it back to this committee uh, with all of the final changes in writing. Uh, just to close the loop uh, and see if there's any additional comments. But really, the only in, uh, intention of this item was to close that loop uh, to show the committee the final work uh, that has been done based on all of the feedback. Thank you. All right. Um, I believe, um, Trustee Chung, this was something that, um, if there's any comments. I'm so excited to move this. <laughs> yeah. Um, uh, student Trustee Brent. Sorry, is it possible to make any more edits to it at this point or no? Yeah, of course. Yeah? Yes. Okay. Mm -hmm. Thank you. Um, I was just wondering with the changes in law or legislation uh, with the passage of AB 1541, if we could, instead of saying non-voting member, say advisory voting member to reflect that change? Uh, we, we can certainly uh, look into making that change and uh, bring it to the full board uh, for another review here in two weeks. Thank you. I guess, yeah, I think the only thing um, with that regard, though, uh, student trustee, Brand, what I'm what I'm forecasting potentially is because in ed code, it's written as non-voting member. Okay, so do, do we need to wait for changes in ed code to take place? I know that this goes into effect in January, but I'm sure that'll be coming down the pipe. Okay, okay. I think that's best practice, okay. yeah. Moving this to the full board. Yes, all right, I will take a motion. I'd like to move the BP 1.015. Second. Moved by Trustee Chung, seconded by um, Trustee Green. Uh, Linda, could you please call roll? Student Trustee Green, advisory vote. Aye. Chair Chisti. Aye. Trustee Green. Aye. Trustee Chung. Aye. The motion passes. 
Wonderful. Thank you. And uh, before I move to the next item, I realized I didn't call public comment. Was there public comment? No. There's All right. Whoops. Okay. Going to um, the next item, which is the student, student housing resolution, um, which I am really excited to um, bring forth to this committee, along with Trustee Green. And um, I think just as a very high-level overview of this, um, Actually, before I bring in any public comment on this, Linda. No, there is not. All right. So before I open this up for discussion, I'll introduce it. So um, this has been something that I think has picked up some momentum at the state level. And I have felt that community college students have often been left out of discussion around student housing. And so recently, Governor Gavin Newsom um, has a grant program where community colleges can apply for a grant for, for housing. And um, I think that we do have potential facilities um, that can be explored um, to provide our students with housing. And this is also, I think, ties really closely to student success and um, addressing the basic needs of our students. Housing is a basic human right. And we know that there's um, a lot of research around um, collegiality, um, not collegiality, but bonds that are formed in dorms and how that can improve retention rates. And so um, I'm, I'm really excited to bring this um, just for an initial discussion and opportunity for feedback from my colleagues and for this to also be circulated within the college community for feedback um, before it goes to the full board um, whenever deemed appropriate timeline-wise. So um, I don't know if there's any comments um, or questions. Trustee Green? I'll just say very briefly that in um, my work in, in the California community college system in the last 16 years, this is a huge issue um, for me personally in the capacity as counseling faculty. Um, Many students were coming to me and and the student, the, the basic needs, uh, I'd say about 10 years ago for me became really huge. Looking at other colleges, Compton, um, community colleges is one of the uh, forerunners in, in trying to move this initiative. Um, just coming from work today, I, I work in Saratoga, it's about 85 degrees when I walked outside to get in the car to come here, it's cold out here. You know, um, students, uh, housing is essential for all, but there's the need here. We see the need, we know the need. Um, I don't think anyone will oppose it. We'll hear if, if people do, but I think this is a, a good start to a conversation for a critical need for students. Thank you so much, Trustee Green. Um, I think um, the other piece that's really important in this is that as the discussion on student housing, you know, happens that we keep an equity lens um, around this. So I think that was really important uh, building this into the resolution. I do have a question for you, Chancellor Martin. Like I, I read this affordable student housing grant program a few times and budget allocations towards it. And so um, and just for clarity that this resolution asks the chancellor to develop a plan to move, um, to apply for this grant, um, in the near future. So could you talk about the grant, if you're familiar with it? Like, I feel like there's been some back and forth from just yeah, the governor. Uh, certainly, Chair Justine, thank you for the opportunity. And I, 
want to first uh, preface the response by there are two separate grants uh, right now available at the state level. There's the feasibility grant. Uh, this is the grant that districts apply for to do feasibility studies, uh, to do uh, analysis, preliminary designs, uh, so on and so forth. The grant funding available for individual districts is in the hundred dollars to $300,000 range. Uh, so it's not uh, funding for the actual construction, but for the feasibility of the project. So that is a grant that I think we could uh, and maybe should apply for here in the next cycle mm -hmm. uh, to start that feasibility discussion. Uh, the second grant that I believe you're referring to is the actual uh, construction uh, grant to where districts submit uh, pre-approved uh, design plans uh, for student housing projects. Uh, those plans are ranked uh, in priority order uh, from commu for community colleges. And then ultimately, uh, they're funded based on a rank down order. So not every project that is submitted by each district ends up being funded. Uh, but I do believe there are approximately five to 10 uh, projects in this year's budget throughout the state. Uh, for example, uh, San Francisco State uh, was the awardee of uh, that grant because the grant at the state level is uh, offered to uh, all higher education entities. So we do have uh, a niche uh, or a mountain carved out for community colleges that we can apply for. Uh, some things that we need to uh, really approach first is identifying a location uh, and then ultimately collecting data uh, from the city in regards to our student population, the current cost of housing, uh, the current ranges of income from our students and our community. So there's a lot of data that needs to be collected in order to submit uh, grants for the construction part. Uh, but ultimately, that's work that will take uh, most likely 12 to 16 months and is typically done by uh, an architect or an external uh, company that has the ability to do those preliminary designs, the square footage calculations, uh, the analysis of uh, housing costs in regards to median incomes and how that all compares uh, with other regions of the state, and then put together a, a competitive application to be ranked and scored and hopefully funded in the future. Uh, the last thing I'll say is that uh, I do believe in the most recent budget cycle, uh, the opportunity to apply for grants was an extended uh, for a year. So the funding allocation is only for a certain period of time. Uh, I believe we're in year two or year three of what was originally a four-year concept, but I believe now it's a five-year opportunity. Uh, and the last thing that I'll say is that in respects to uh, the California economy and, and future uh, budget iterations and budget cycles, I know this student housing funding uh, has been uh, evaluated for potential reallocation, uh, but Governor Newsom, in, in my opinion, has stayed steadfast uh, in his belief to keep that funding for uh, this concept and allocated in the budget. Uh, but as future budgets uh, come, uh, there may be funding reallocations where the opportunities may not present themselves. So uh, that being said, I hope I answered in, in some way, shape or form uh, your question, Chair Chisty. Uh, I think I have many more questions. So the, I mean, I think the first thing is, is that I would like to pro propose a friendly amendment to incorporate the feasibility grant um, application into the resolution. So is 
the feasibility, how long would it take to apply to get ready to apply for the feasibility grant? So it is cyclical. So we would need to start preparing to apply for the grant in the 24-25 budget cycle. So we are uh, actually uh, very nicely aligned with that timing because we would most likely have to submit uh, our proposal uh, by January of 2024 uh, for consideration of funding in 24-25 state budget. Okay. Okay. Um, student Trustee Brent. Thank you. I just wanted to thank you for working on this and I was going to ask if I could be added as a co-author. And then um, along with, I think, student chancellor, but I think you already have them. Yeah. Okay. Um, and then I was just going to say um, the California Student Aid Commission did a, a student expense and resources survey, and there may be some information you want to pull from there to support what it is um, that we're trying to do. Great. I love that. Awesome. So um, let's go ahead and add student trustee Brent as a co-sponsor, and then I will be happy to review some of the stuff from CSAC and then incorporate that amendment. So I think that since we're not moving this to the full board, um, this was a really helpful discussion. So thank you. May I ask a question? Oh, yes, absolutely. Thank you. Thanks very much. And uh, I forgive it. I apologize in advance if you've discussed this and I missed it. Um, I'm thinking about the variety of uh, housing needs because of the so many different kinds of students go to City College. So does this um, contemplate a dorm situation? Does it provide opportunities for people who live with their with family members to be part of this kind of student housing? I think so. Like, I think that, um, yeah, it would be dorms, but some of the dorms have like family units in them as well. So I believe that this would incorporate that concept, but correct me if I'm wrong, Chancellor Martin. That is correct. I do know uh, there are uh, stipulations and requirements. If we are to build a project with this state um, grant, uh, there are requirements that students must meet to order to access the housing. I think one of them uh, is that uh, they must be a full-time student. So we would not be able to allow uh, part-time students access to the housing if it was constructed with the state budget grant. Uh, there are other uh, income factors uh, as well as unit factors, I believe. Uh, students in excess of a certain amount of units uh, would also not technically qualify. Uh, so those are things that we would put together in the feasibility study to see exactly what uh, student population uh, we could serve if we were to build the uh, housing project with the state funds. So we might have to think beyond the grant yeah. also for student housing. Yes, that's a that's a really great point, um, Trustee Solomon. I, I, I think my follow-up to that was going to be like, if we were to weave in, I think that other projects have weaved in local dollars to supplement the state funding. So in that, because it seems kind of silly because of vast, we have a significant amount of students who are part-time community colleges have that. So would that be possible? Oh, certainly. And I think if we were to, and, and obviously uh, without any uh, construction numbers in front of me, I think if we were envisioning a housing project uh, that would meet the needs of our district, uh, I do think we would need to access uh, local funding uh, to make that project a reality. I think yeah. the state budget is a great step forward. It will provide a significant uh, chunk of funding. 
uh, but with the construction cost here uh, in the Bay Area and the cost uh, of permitting uh, and the entire nine yards, I do suspect that if we want a meaningful housing project, we would need to go outside of the grant in addition to uh, the grant itself. Yes, I think I had suspected that and included language and development of the plan that we also work with our local elected leaders and other folks who can help supplement these dollars. Great. Seeing no further discussion. Um, thank you so much. I will move on to the next item, which is the EEO hiring data and employee data report. We have ABC Star presenting. Welcome. And this is, I think, also a, a continuation of um, the board meeting, the presentation that we received around hiring. Right. In June. In, in, in April. Mm -hmm. So good afternoon, Board of Trustees, Chancellor, Administrators, faculty, and staff. Um, I'm not sure exactly, you know, this report we do every year. We try to do it, you know, toward the end of the spring after most hiring has taken place. And so it's really just data. It is what's in our system. Uh, it shows the committees. It shows the number of applicants that applied and that made it throughout the process. Uh, we share this uh, report with the diversity committee. And this year, we also uh, do an annual report for the EEO State Chancellor's Office. Uh, this was the first year that the uh, EEO was in human resources, so uh, we we filed uh, a year ago. Right now, we are working on the EEO plan. Uh, we're going to send that to the state chancellor's office. We are behind. Uh, I wrote to them and asked them for an extension. They provided that. Uh, we're going to send them our draft. After that, then we will be bringing it to the board, and the board will review it, and it has to be an action item. So um, I don't know where you uh, there. Uh, I know Trustee uh, Chong had some questions. I think I addressed those in the revised report. Um, I'm not sure. Did you want me to walk you back through this report again? Or how would you like for me to address your concerns that you have? Um, if if I may, Chair Trustee, thank you. Um, yeah, I, I think actually I was going to preface this with um, if ABC Star, if you could actually give us that timeline so that we um, all collectively uh, understand the timeline that we're under. And so thank you for um, extending it so that we can have additional discussion. I think um, my, my concern still lies with so I, I was trying to familiar myself from familiarize myself with um, the EEO guidelines for for how to report it, and I was trying to see if there was a requirement for us to um, essentially report it in percentages. And um, correct me if I'm wrong, because what I'm hearing is that um, this report was not only provided to um, EEO but also to the state chancellor's office and. I provided a version, some parts of this, as you know, we applied for the $300,000 grant that we received. Yes. And so one of the questions they had in that grant was, you know, what kind of uh, 
promotional activities do you have for staff? So we wanted to show the number of classified that had moved to maybe a faculty position, the number of classified that had moved into administrative position, the number of faculty that moved from faculty to administrative positions, they also wanted us to show kind of a little bit of longitudinal information. So there were certain questions in that grant that we responded. So we didn't give them this entire report. Uh, the diversity committee and the subcommittee of the diversity committee worked on that grant. We applied for it and sent them some of this. But every year we do report to the EEO on our hiring. And so in terms of the stats, what we just try to show in this is how many people applied, how many people went to the committee, how many people left the committee, and who was actually selected in the end. Uh, on one of those uh, charts, it shows that I think 46 African-American applied for positions with the college. But in the final analysis, four were selected. So it was something like an eight point something percentage. So they may not be statistically different, but they're important to see that the stats do matter and it has some significance. So that's why we try to show that, you know, the statistical uh, part of it. And and thank you for that, uh, IBC Star. I think, right, that chart, um, right, where we got to actually see how the candidates were weeded down, the ones that were, as I've shared with you over the phone, right, I really appreciated the ones that were longitudinal across multiple years. I think I, I still, again, right, my, my concern, again, is the way that um, when when the sample size is one. Yeah. So when the sample size is one, you know, that's why we 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 use these multicolors. But we want it, we want you to know that it was one person. Um it's sometimes sensitive because not everyone feels out that they want you to know all of their information. So if it's um uh, a person of color or someone that doesn't want that information, certainly we would not print it. But, you know, over the years, the various board of trustees, they want to know that information. Sometimes people won't declare a lot of information, mm -hmm. but if they actually get the job and they come in and they fill out the little information sheet we have in our office, they will declare whether they're gay, lesbian, they're race, multi-race, but that information won't necessarily be in this report because it's just in my office. Right. And I was understanding that, right, in, in certain components in the EEO requirement, right, where you only um, select one um, classification, um, things of that nature. But I, I, I wanted to... Um, what I what I circle back to, right, and in, in trying to understand this, and thank you for the clarification, ABC Star, is that um, because we're not required to um, to report these in percentages, and again, to not. So my purpose is one, right? I think um, sort of establishing the the standard that we we ask of any statistic 101 student, right, is that we don't present information if it's not statistically relevant, or we don't present it in that manner. Um, it, it, you know, any 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 professor, <laughs> right, who reads a report like that would find it problematic to present um, the data in that manner. Um, I think what I'm hoping to do is basically every time in, in place of the percentage, right, continue to show the pie chart. I think the visual 
that visual aspect is very important. Um, but to change it from the percentage, but to change it to the total number, which is what is outlined in the EEO one requirement. So instead of saying a hundred, right, for that one particular position, I think um, it's not on this committee agenda, but if we pulled up the EEO report, um, there is one particular chart, right, where it was for a specific classification. Uh, could we pull up the report, uh, actually, just so that the public is uh, um, aware of what we're, it's in the June 8th um, board meeting. I'm sorry, Trustee. No, no, no. Thank you. Thank you, um, Chair Trustee, for doing that. I'm sorry, not the um, not the full board meeting, but the June 8th SSP. You're talking about um, page 13? Uh, that is correct. So on page 13 or the PDF page 18, when you scroll there, as opposed to saying 100% Filipino, right? Where it just, instead we place the total number. You just want to say one? One, yeah. So... That's fine with me, but each time various board members see it different ways. So this is the way we've been reporting it in the past. Um, Trustee Green? So I, I didn't catch um, the significance of that to you. What's, what's the significance of that to you? Well, I think it's important that... So... So my immediate initial concern is right when, especially when we, so I'm always thinking about the way that the college is um, representation to the public and how sort of in our, in this world where media works in sort of where the title, the tagline is is what, what drives news media is that when we have data that says a certain percentage, right, of, of the college is, right, especially one of these charts, right, when it says, let's just look at the one immediately above it, right, new hires, right, we've, 42% of our new hires are white, right, that, that sort of statistic without the context can be incredibly damning. And I think I think what's important for us to for us to really be reflective of our institution and, and its improvement is to have is when we do have this data across a series of years and we talk about um, whether or not that statistic has where it has changed over time. I think that's where and what we are doing to to improve the diversity of our employees that's where we really need to that's when percentages are incredibly important um but when when it's right when it's presented in the, simply as a percentage it's in a one year time frame where the sample size here we can see the sample size is only um Sorry, I'm looking for the total sample size. The total sample size is only 12, yeah. right? I think it's, um, it can be very, it, 
it takes away from right we like we learn it in statistics we learn in any kind of scientific field it's important for us to to present data in an accurate manner and when we do it like this it's it's concerning so in terms of this data it's the actual data it's the number of people applied and it's the number of people who were selected uh over the years i could show you back 25 years this data is the actual data uh certainly our college has been very much more successful in hiring in terms of administration and classified in terms of diversity. We have not been that successful in our full-time faculty. And I think it is important for the public to know that. We need to improve that. We need to make those changes. And the only way to make that happen is have goals and uh, make sure that we work toward that. And we should know what that number is so that we can change it. That's just my personal opinion. Uh, another question for for Trustee Chung is, um, so your suggestion as compared to percentages for what? Is to put the actual total. And then when we do present percentages, it's over a course of multiple years when the sample size is large. My suggestion, thank you for that. My suggestion would be that we, as compared to set, as compared to eliminating the percentages to include both, because I think it's a matter of interpretation. If you have a scientific mind, then you may look at it one way. If you don't, you may look at it another way, but regardless, the transparency is there. And so, for something to be viewed as damning would be viewed upon that the the person that is looking at it, regardless of if it's percentage or the other way. So that would be my suggestion. I would be absolutely amenable to that. All right. Um, I think uh, I will chime in in that discussion as well. Um, I I agree. I mean, I've seen. You know, it's interesting because in my day job, I have I have the same issue, whether it's like, do we present it with the end value or do you not put the end value? And I think I always think that when you do have, I mean, this pie chart, we have the end value at the bottom. So somebody knows that it's six, you know, we're talking about 12 people and 50% is six. So, but from that aside, I mean, I think, I think the thing that this, I think there's so much good information in this report. And I just feel like I'm not able to absorb it completely. There's a lot going on here. And, um, and I, I, I think that's just been my struggle with understanding the data and the report and kind of focusing on how the board can help support all of this wonderful work that you're doing and where then from there, identifying where do we need to move things? Is it, do we need to have hiring committees have implicit bias training? Is that, do we need to revisit minimum qualifications in order to see if that serves as a barrier? Um, is Are there fellowship opportunities? And then from the folks that are in the fellowship opportunities, how many are not making into a position? So I, I just, I don't know how to um, shape the conversation with this data. And I think this is, I think the third, I think third time that we're looking at it. And I, I, I don't know if that's for ABC star, if that's for you, Chancellor Martin, but, um, 
again, it's the same question of how can the board engage meaningfully in this discussion? Trust you, Christy, I think when we uh, work through the, the grant that we mm -hmm. have next year, we've included a lot of things on that. Mitra's working and Sherry, we're all going to work really hard. We we sent out a notice and mm -hmm. we've got people that are interested and they want to volunteer to serve on those committees. So that's going to help. In addition to that, with the EEO plan, it's going to come to you. Right. And in there, there are going to be suggestions, goals, and we should work toward that. Yeah. That's a big change. Um, we, we, we're we going to be trying to get that to the state by the end of this month for them to look at. And then it comes back to you guys. Okay. And you'll have like three months. We need to ask them for another extension so that we can completed by November. They did give us to October, but we need to November. And in there, the board can design the tasks and goals that they want the administration to work on to make some changes. Great. Thank you. So it seems like the best way we can engage is through this plan. And I'm really excited that we got that grant. So thank you again for all of your work on that. Um, I'm going to move us along because we have one more item. Thank you again, ABC Star. Uh, the next item... I believe is a uh, title nine. Um, and do we have a presentation on that? Welcome Dr. Cooper Wilkins and guest. Oh my gosh, welcome. So, so good evening. Um, uh, good evening. Um, so I am uh, pleased to be here with my colleague from Human Resources, uh, Aaron Chase. He is our EEO program senior uh, officer and our Title V, ADA, EEO, and um, Title IX compliance officer. And so uh, I believe the crux of the um, request was for the Title IX procedures for our students. And um, we collaborate when it comes to that process, but uh, certainly Erin is the uh, subject matter expert. So I'm gonna turn it over to you. Good evening, board members, uh, faculty, administrators, staff. Uh, pleasure to be with you this evening. Uh, could we please open up the slides? If not, if not, it's okay. I can proceed. But I think she's working on it. Um, given that I'm crunch, if you could Absolutely. go ahead and get started. Thank you very much. So I'll be going through. Uh, with Vice Chancellor uh, Cooper Wilkins, the Title IX process for students. Um, so we'll be uh, covering the applicable law and policies and the actual processes that students navigate. So for Title IX itself, uh, in short, it provides that uh, it prohibits sex and gender discrimination in education programs or activities that receive federal financial assistance. Uh, the text of the law itself is brief, but it provides ample room to interpret and apply its principles. Uh, thank you. So the relevant board policies are BP uh, 230, 231, and 232, and administrative uh, policies uh, 230, 231, and 30, uh, 232. Uh, the board policies state our commitment to preventing unlawful discrimination, harassment, and assault, and uh, which also includes sexual harassment and uh, sexual assault. 
which uh, constitutes some of the core principles in applying Title IX. The administrative policies uh, lay out how the district is to conduct itself in its efforts to investigate, adjudicate, prevent, and ameliorate the effects of unlawful discrimination, harassment, and assault, including sexual harassment and sexual assault. Uh, so to find the relevant information on our website, you can take a look at the Title IX link at the bottom of the main page of the CCSF homepage. And when you click on it, it takes you to a specific page that has a lot of information, including the policies and laws, the grievance process, support information, and my contact info, uh, which puts us in compliance with California Senate Bill 493 and its uh, relevant uh, implementing pro uh, procedures. Um, and which requires the posting of uh, relevant grievance procedures and my contact info. Moving on, so written procedures should be displayed in prominent locations along the campus, along the website, and the district should establish a district officer responsible for complaints, that's me, and any investigation of a complaint may be carried out by that responsible district officer or other uh, investigators designated by the district. Uh, that may be in case where someone that or I or someone else would be involved or otherwise biased um, or at the uh, district's discretion. Uh, any student who believes they have been harassed or assaulted is encouraged to inform the responsible district officer in person, in writing, or via electronic means. And any district employee who has knowledge of harassment or assault of a district student should inform the responsible district officer. That can include actual knowledge where you know of the incident or constructive knowledge where you should have known of the incident if in a reasonable person's position. In all cases, formal or informal, the district will take immediate action to protect the complainant, eliminate a hostile environment, prevent the reoccurrence of the incidents, address efforts, uh, address the effects of a hostile environment, and provide for resources for advocacy, counseling, and support. The responsible district officer must also advise the student of the existence of a formal and informal process, that they are not required to confront or work out any processes with the accused, uh, that they may file a report with the U.S. Department of Education, its Office of Civil Rights specifically, or the California Civil Rights Department, that resources for counseling, advocacy, and support do exist both inside and outside the district, and that in cases of sexual assault, a mediation-based informal complaint process may be inappropriate, and that serious investigations may need to be investigated, likely will be or need to be investigated. And both the complainant and the respondent have the right to interim measures to ensure their safety. For a formal complaint process, that requires submission of a, of a written formal complaint, though investigators may investigate even when there is a defective complaint. It should allege uh, the existence of unlawful discrimination, harassment, or assault as defined under Title IX and district policy. And it may be filed by one who has personally suffered unlawful discrimination, harassment, or assault on behalf of that person, or by one who learned of the complaint in their official capacity as a faculty member or administrator. It must be filed within one year of when the complaint suffered unlawful discrimination, harassment, or assault, or when the reporting party should have known of the unlawful discrimination, harassment, or assault. And if the formal complaint does not fall within Title IX, the college, as we've said, may be required to conduct an investigation, 
Um, however, the call of the uh, district does determine that the complaint does not fall within the definition of Title IX. It may be dismissed out of Title IX, despite that uh, requirement to conduct an ongoing investigation. The complainant, though, has the right to appeal regarding dismissal out of Title IX. Investigation should be adequate, reliable, impartial, and prompt. Both the complainant and the respondent should be uh, contacted and given the opportunity to present their story, and both complainant and respondent should be given the opportunity to present witnesses and other evidence. Within 90 days of reception of the formal complaint, the responsible district officer should, if possible, complete the investigation. And I'd like to take a moment here to note that it is unlawful to retaliate against anyone who has filed an unlawful discrimination, harassment, or assault complaint, refers a matter to investigation or complaint, participates in the investigation of a complaint, represents or serves as an advocate for an alleged victim or alleged offender, or otherwise furthers the principle of the district's unlawful discrimination policy. And any act of retaliation, most likely would uh, taking place during the investigation itself, but could take place at any time during the process, should be reported to the Title V EEO ADA and Title IX Compliance Office, me. Uh, yes, and upon completion of an investigation, the investigative report or a summary should be made available to both parties prior to any disciplinary proceeding. The determination as to whether unlawful discrimination, harassment, or assault occurred is made on the preponderance of the evidence standard. This is called a roughly a 50% standard, so it means that it occurred more likely than not. Uh, the determination should include whether the probable cause, which is kind of a 30% uh, standard existed to investigate, a description of the actions taken, actions to prevent similar actions from occurring, proposed resolution, and the right to appeal. For an appeal, the complainant or respondent may appeal decision, the decision of the chancellor or chancellor's designee within 15 days of the date of notice. The chancellor or designee may issue final decision within 45 days of reception of the appeal. If the chancellor or designee takes no action on the appeal in the final matter, uh, the final matter from the original determination shall become the final district decision within the matter. The complainant retains at this stage the right to file a complaint, again, with the U.S. Department of Education's uh, Office of Civil Rights or the California Civil Rights Department. And the district must continue its efforts to provide care, training, education after the close of the matter. That's the uh, presentation. Do you have uh, yeah. anything to advice, Jensen? Yeah, the, the only thing I wanted to add in terms of the collaboration that our offices have is um, one that um, our dean for student engagement and wellness often would be the liaison for the student if um, they wanted to um, get information about resources, as Aaron had, had spoken about, and really understand what the process is, because I know it can sound um, uh, a little a little counterintuitive that we would be sending students to human resources to to deal with a matter like this, and so um, it's you know, has always been our practice around making sure that there is a connection with student affairs um, and helping the student to understand how to go through the process. Again, really helping them understand resources that are available on campus and um, in the community, but also collaborating with Erin to provide information to students about the Title IX process. And that's something that I believe is just now starting. Uh, um, Dean Amy Coffey is, is newish in her role, and I know that the, the two of them are working together to 
develop training and materials for students. Absolutely. Thank you so much. Um, before I open it up for discussion, Linda, do we have any public comment? No, we do not. All right, colleagues, um, just as um, a time check, we are about two minutes over, and this is a really important topic, but um, I think, you know, if everybody is okay, we should at least get in uh, the discussion going. Um, I know that um, uh, Trustee Chung called for this item in particular, so I'm going to start with Trustee Chung and then go over to student trustee Brandt. Thank you. Um, and I also want to give credit to, to student trustee Brandt at the time, student Chancellor Brandt, who really brought this to my attention because I think, um, and, and thank you, Council Chase, for um, providing this presentation. It's it's really good to hear that there's a partnership, um, Dr. Cooper Wilkins, with Student Affairs to make this accessible, uh, especially, I think, so um, for, for me, what what I was hoping to really address was how students are interfacing with these resources, right? Is that when you do visit the website, I think it's, um, I, I wanna start with, I think when a student experiences or any, when anyone experiences discrimination, but particularly someone who is marginalized and feels um, already disempowered in their role as just a student, right? Um, they, uh, it's, this is very taxing. On, on them to kind of try to navigate through this legal lingo, right? To understand what am I supposed to do next? Um, I think uh, I've, we've we've talked about this before. Um, we've touched on this subject before in closed session. I think I just ended there. But, um, right, the concept that um, really, we would really like to see wraparound services, right, for, for students. Um, and I think I've, I've thought about it myself as someone who's actually undergone this process, um, who's, who's, report, who's undergone the reporting of a grievance. And um, I think for me, right, having a means to provide a student an advocate um, particularly in the instances, right? I, I think there's like this distinction, right? Um, between the non-academic affairs complaint and Title V and Title IX complaints. And so um, I think the process of ensuring that students are interfaced with a counselor, a mental health counselor at the student health center, um, as well as a student advocate, right? So that they know because, right, because this is all, as this is happening to them, sort of, they kind of, for, for me at least, I processed, I went numb, right? And it was very difficult to kind of know this is the deadline, these are the timelines. And so it helps to have someone um, help you advocate and map that out for you. Um, and I'm always in favor of it being a peer, but I, I also understand there's some, there's probably some legal concerns uh, about that, but um, having, right, having someone who is designated as someone that doesn't necessarily, who, who's always in the student's corner, right, even if it sometimes means they might be advocating for something that might um, not necessarily put this district in a comfortable position. Right. Um, that's that's kind of where I'm at, because because something that and I'll just state as an example. Right. I think the the there used to be a form, right, that students could fill out to immediately to ask for an advocate to be with them. And that form is no longer available online. So that's just that's just one example. And and Title five, when you look on the website, 
Title V is not mentioned. It's it's mentioned, but once you click onto the Title V, Title IX shared page, you only see Title IX issues, right? So as a, a member of Project Five, very glad that that's coming to our attention, but then also doesn't discuss all the other protected classes that, you know, with regards to discrimination. Thank you. Student Trustee Brown. Thank you. I just wanted to thank you both for your presentation and um, and for the seriousness with which you take situations that come to you. Um, I got to meet um, our civil rights compliance officer, Aaron Chase, shortly after his arrival here. And um, I wish I didn't have to, <laughs> to be honest, so soon after you arrived. Um, but I'm really grateful for your approach and the compassion that you extend to students and find themselves in difficult situations to be able to support them. And I hear what you're saying, um, Trustee Chung, in terms of how it can be intimidating, not just in terms of the language, but you're going into a room with, you know, an administrator or someone who you feel like it's not necessarily a student like yourself and on your side. And um, I, I have stepped in in situations like that. Um, to support the students, although there isn't something clearly outlined like you're you're stating, and there there needs to be and there should be. So thank you, Trustee yeah. Green. Very briefly, I'll I'll just say um, in my nine to five, I started as a dean of student conduct. I'm at a, another community college. From what I'm seeing, everything looks great. Thank you for your hard work, your collaboration. Um, the two things that I would suggest not saying that you haven't already gone this route, but you you mentioned one is just the publicity of this and making it available to students to know that this this resource is there. And then the second is the potential of, of creating a behavioral intervention team, which would then incorporate some of the things that have been said earlier. Thank you, uh, Trustee Green. Um, our new Dean, um, Amy Coffey, has just recently gone through the NABIDA training that will equip her with the ability to resurrect um, what was a version of a behavioral intervention team, but for us to explore what that looks like in a meaningful way here. Thank you so much. I don't know if I have much to add. I feel like my colleagues have touched upon everything. Um, and thank you for your perspective, um, student trustee Brandt, because one of my questions was going to be, was that I'm curious to know what the student's experience is in navigating in navigating this process. And um, I don't know if we've done a focus group or if we have any information on this. Like I just imagine it being really intimidating, really scary. And um, I don't know how we as a college community can make it less scary and less intimidating or at least ease access um, unless we have some data or information about what are some of the complexities that students experience and understanding all of this legal jargon. And then I think the second thing that I just want to add upon is um, prevention. And um, I don't know if we've had a campaign around consent. Um, I don't, I think colleges have done that in the past, but maybe just, I think what Trustee Green was saying, like giving the information, but also, you know, these concepts around what does consent look like? Mm -hmm. Yes and no. So um, I don't know if you wanted to add anything to that. Or... As, a, as a fellow Project Survive member, that is something we do in Project Survive. We go into classrooms and provide oh, that's great. presentations. Yeah. Is that happening actively right now? Always. Great. It's amazing. 
Um, I was just going to say that we have just recently implemented a new syllabus tool so that the entire college, we're moving to take the fall to get it fully implemented, but basically all students will get, or at least have the opportunity to get, to get a syllabus through their Canvas shell, but it's also printable for somebody who's not teaching on Canvas. And in that shell, in that syllabus tool are sections that are not put in by faculty, but are actually standardized that the college puts. So for example, there's a section on academic tutoring and a section on the library mm -hmm. that will be automatic. It'll be the same for every class that every student takes. And one of the things that would be really nice to see here is just a, a way to access these kinds of resources. And that normalizes the process. Students don't have yeah. to hunt on the website yeah. and they also see it in every class. So it reinforces yeah. the idea that these resources are here. So I just wanted to uh, let you know that I've been working with our um, distance ed team to implement this tool. And I would be happy to discuss with Aaron how we might be able to include just something brief on the website that allows students in every class at City College who gets a syllabus, which should be every student <laughs> or every class, to know that these resources are on campus. So absolutely, let me know if you'd like to work together. Absolutely. Vice Chancellor uh, uh, Cooper Wilkins and I are at your service. Thank you. And I'm going to um, turn it over to student trustee to wrap it up. I'm so sorry. No, I just wanted to say that the pregnant scholar has really great information with regards to Title IX. You may have already looked at it, but I think the way that they approach presenting the information, it's really accessible. It's easier to follow, particularly when it comes to rights of student parents and pregnant students um, in terms of excuse absences, pregnancy, childbirth and conditions and um, working at school while pregnant and parenting. Um, so I just wanted to add that in there if that can be incorporated, if it hasn't already. Thank you. Thank you so much for the presentation. Um, I am going to move us to future agenda items. Colleagues, if you have future agenda items, please submit it. Um, we have a few already in the queue already. Um, and I, again, as a reminder, I am um, instituting a form um, where the topic area and the specific questions that you have be submitted to committee so we can have more tailored presentations. Um, so I will be attaching one as an example since I have an agenda item. Again, just email me. So we got to keep it moving. All right. And we are um, adjourned at 742. Thank you. <laughs>